And we're back. Did you miss us? It's the season two premiere of the Massacre Radio program, and boy, do we have a good one lined up for you today. I, of course, am your host, Members Only Dave, on this, the 13th installment, and check this out today. I will be joined by Cool Keith, formerly of the Ultra Magnetic MCs, and then went on to have a successful solo career for about 30 years afterwards, and counting. We'll be talking about his latest album, Black Elvis 2, and everything else in between. What better way to kick off the second season of Massacre Radio? And you know what? Let's just go ahead and get into it right now. There is reason to get excited. Come on! This is Massacre Radio. And now, let's check the Masker Radio voicemail. You stink, your opinions suck, I can't stand listening to the sound of your voice. You need to get a real job. Another satisfied customer, courtesy of WKMA, Cleveland. In the beginning, there was VHS and Beta, then DVD, and now, in the 21st century, thanks to the advent of modern technology, we have streaming. With thousands of titles all at your fingertips, sometimes it's hard to find something even halfway decent to watch, but it doesn't have to be. Introducing SubGenius.tv, the only streaming service you need with hundreds of hand-picked titles at your convenience. Titles like The Pink Ladies, Corruption, and Night Terror. You'll never run out of interesting cinema to consume at home ever again. SubGenius.tv has it all. And then some. Besides, who has the space to store physical media anyway? Streaming is the future, and SubGenius.tv is here to pave the way. Don't be a coward. Sign up today with plans starting at $5.83 per month. SubGenius.tv. Don't make us tell you again. Joining me now on the Massacre Radio Hotline is one of the most distinguished and proficient MCs to ever pick up a microphone. It is my pleasure to welcome Cool Keith to the show. Keith, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Massacre Radio. How are things? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. You know, just clearing my head. Just came out the steam, you know. So I tried to get you on the show about a month ago, but you said you were busy shooting a movie. What can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah, I did a movie uh, in Chicago. It was pretty good. Uh, pretty cool being a uh, well-known actor from a big-time rock band did a movie. You got to see it. I mean, come on. A movie with Cool Keith? That sounds like a match made in heaven. Why didn't you make any movies before? What took so long? I don't know. I should have been. Uh, well, I did a movie before, Champions, with uh, Tim Shamrock and, uh, and Danny Trejo. I was in that movie, Champion. It was on Showtime and a couple of TV shows. I shot that in the 90s in L.A. Okay, so you do have experience being on a movie set and applying your creativity in that way then, huh? Yeah, well, you know, I don't shoot a lot of movies. I spread it out when I'm shooting movies. I wanted to have a balanced career, you know, movies. I don't want to do too many movies. Movies is pretty hard, you know. They, they have a lot. You got a lot to do with movies, a lot of work. Right, like you don't want to spread yourself too thin or oversaturate yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then you got rappers that work and do movies. They get caught into movies a lot, you know, and then you forget your craft, you know, craft of music. You forget your craft of what you're supposed to be doing musically. 
so when I take a look at your illustrious career, there's a lot for me to get excited about, and I only have you on for so long. So I have to ask you about the Ultramagnetic MCs, because in 1989, I know you guys did a track where you kind of rapped about the NBA All-Star Game and their starting lineups. What do you remember about that, and how did that whole thing even come about? Oh, he's talking about uh, they did some song for the NBA. Um, you know, when Seth played basketball, we was always into it. And then the, there was a lady that was, she was like a chairman of the NBA, like almost like the president of the NBA advertisement. And she called us and we did a song. And it, it came out nice. It was like, we got that job for that, that particular song. Uh, it was a good experience, you know? Yeah, because I was watching some old NBA clips and that song came on and I was like, wait a minute, I know these guys. I, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. I also want to ask you about the album Pimp to Eat that you did with Ice-T under the name Analog Brothers. Walk me through how that project even got started in the first place. Pimp to Eat was very, uh, it was pretty cool. It was just a, a different kind of record. Ice was on it. It was like Rex on it. Um, it was an analog album. You know, everybody had keyboards producing. And, you know, we all had names from particular keyboards and Rex Brolin, Keith Korg, and Mark Mood. So how did Ice-T even get involved on the project? Was there like a mutual admiration there between the two of you? Well, I joined into the project with us. It was kind of funny. We was doing it, and he was like, damn, let me get down with that. Y'all using crazy big words and all this kind of stuff. It was it was like a fun project because we was just, we, we were so high tech. Like that album, it was so high tech. We was just, we got into a zone. We was all just using big words, just crazy out of nowhere. Like our, our mood was uh, just using big words constantly. And on top of funky beats, on top of like funk, funk beats. Like, like played original beats, you know what I'm saying? Big words, funky beats. I mean, you've always been on the cutting edge of rap, and that just further cements it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. You definitely say that. I, You know, I definitely am creating other stuff, you know, doing different albums at a different kind of pace, you know what I'm saying? Cool Keith is my guest on the show today. Keith, throughout your career, you've worked with numerous talents. Ice-T, like I had just mentioned, to Mike Patton on the Peeping Tom album all those years ago. Who's an artist or producer or personality you've yet to work with that you'd still really like to? Uh, Rick Ross is one. I think um, singer-wise, you know, maybe Stephanie Mills, Quincy Jones. We're not Quincy Jones, but maybe, uh, let's see, like, Bootsy. Bootsy. Not too many, not too many. We'll get back to the music in just a bit, but this show, Massacre Radio, has a small focus on the extraterrestrial and paranormal happenings. Did you see that congressional hearing Mexico had two weeks ago where they showed what they believe were aliens recovered from Peru some 1,000 years ago? I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Well, I got to ask you, what does Cool Keith make of the possibility of aliens being real? They could be. They could. It could be aliens being real. Aliens. They may. They exist in you know Area Fifty Four. They could be. Okay. So getting back to the music now. I know back in the day on YouTube there was someone who had uploaded an MTV Two rip of the music video for Live in Astro, and it got me wondering why is it? Do you think stations like MTV didn't embrace Cool Keith and air your videos so much? Uh, I think it was. I think it was the record companies. Uh, not interested in, you know, what they supposed to be doing, their promotion and all that. Like, you know, a lot of stuff is politically, a lot of people don't join on the table. A lot of people should have joined inside the table with the record, you know? That's where I think it, we had a problem. 
we didn't join. They didn't join in the table. Well, I mean, yeah, you were still able to find success despite that. So, is it that they just weren't digging the vibe? No, it was just not that. It was just sometimes politics and music. It's just you know you got to spend money. You know you got to spend campaign. You know that's what it is. You know still still goes back to the Frankie Crocker syndrome. You know people. It's not about what they like. It's what they. Some of it's what they pay for. You know we live in a pay for business right now. You know everything is getting paid for. You know, even if it's good or bad, it's getting paid for. I mean, it's just different things I was going through. I mean, even like with me, people always thought like, oh, did you think you deserve the credit you should have, the credibility? And I, I think I've been, you know, I did a lot of stuff. I, I've been around the world, you know, I flew around. I've been to every country, you know, I had major record deals. You know, I stayed in Los Angeles, stayed in New York, stayed in Jersey. I think I had a big share, you know, going to strip clubs. I mean, I think I had a pretty successful career as far as me. I mean, you know, I think some people's destiny in music is they die, overdose, or they get shot and killed, or they they go to jail. You know, they go down with a bad ending. I think, for me, I think I had a very great run in music, you know. So stemming from that, what does it mean to you being true to yourself as being an original artist and someone who developed their own original sound? It means a lot. It means a lot. Uh, it means uh, integrity, uh, confidence, and uh, being brave and uh, open, opening other doors for others, which I've done. But I, I don't really care about, you know, the recommendation, uh, you know, I, I know what I did myself, you know, I opened doors for a lot of groups to be different, do things new, instead of just being in one, you know, one lane. That's what it was, you know, so I, I did a lot. Um, accomplishment, of course. Accomplishment. Being someone who has been in the rap game for basically 40 years, what could you say is your crowning achievement or accomplishment you are most proud of in your career? What am I most proud of? My, you know... All my albums were my babies, Dr. Octagon, Black Elvis, Matthew, Dr. Doom. Then I had, you know, Project KHM, you know, all the albums on the side, you know, the subsidiaries. And every project was a fun, fun experience. Like, I think it's it's all a one big clap and applaud, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, Keith, do you agree with the idea that younger rappers these days don't respect the past or the history of rap? Um, no, cause I think I see a lot of them uh, starting to do the songs that rappers had in the past over. I see a lot of them. I think what it was was like a lot of artists that was more older and stuff. They was they didn't reach out. They were, you know, they always thought they was hot. But, you know, the kids do what they do. My thing is that is that people have to understand them, basically. You know, when I came up, I still always made records with younger artists and put them on. and exchange verses and go to, you know, go to the studio and put verses down. You know, I had kids twice as younger than me ripping up their papers and stuff. So, you know, it was an experience. My nephews and them have done songs with me and, they, and they're and they good. I, and I see them writing around. I say, you know, I ask them, I say, you write? And they say, yeah. And I say, you good? They say, yeah. I, take some, I took them to the studio and they're good. Some of them are good, really good. So, you know, and, and up on my level too, you know, you know, I guess it runs in the family, you know, I, you know, I had nephews and cousins that rap pretty much on a, on a high pro level. So, you know, you can't doubt them. It's all competition. 
they got wordplay and new ways of using words. I mean, I mean, everything counts, you know, like you said, Bobby, Barry Bonds hit 37 home runs. I mean, you know, well, he's 60, 73 home runs, whatever. And then Aaron Judge came and did it, you know, hit 60, broke the record, from, you know, making Mantle. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's always kids coming up, but I work with them and still, I feel good, you know, because I, I do beats, I make music and beats, so I'm always going to have a part in music, whereas, you know, kids to this day, you know, they want to be on beats that I made, you know, it's such an honor for them to get a beat from me and stuff, you know, and I know the sound, so, you know, I'm not stiff in clothing and style, fashion, I know what the kids wear, I know what I wear, I stay current, you know, some people are lost, you know, time, they get lost, they they don't know the latest style, the latest shoes, the latest hat, the latest thing to wear. It's called staying with the time. I've been ahead of my time so much musically that I had no other reason if people caught up, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I had no other reason if, if people caught up. So it, it's, it's cool. It's cool. So I was always ahead. So they're catching up and some may have slightly maybe trying to pass me. So, I mean, but it's all good. It makes me work harder. And I see them coming up with ideas and stuff. I, I, I get better. I get better. I adjust to the cadences. I don't, you know, it's all about growing in music and learning your linguistics with your mouth because you can get stiff musically. You know, the cadences are different now. Like a lot of the cadences and you can't be stiff, you know, but I did them all too. So I created cadences. So, when kids make new cadences and stuff, that was something I did before. And that kind of ties into my next question, because as it pertains to rapping, how do you continually push yourself mentally? I listen to other stuff, and then I shut it down, and then I say, okay, this is what the attributes need to be right now. You know, I push forward and write songs. and You know, I write all kinds of songs. I write songs about girls. I write songs about God, battling ego stuff, freestyles. You know, I very seldom do conscious records, not too much, not me. Like, I do mostly girl songs, songs, egotistical battle rap or talking shit, most braggadocia. You know, I don't do too much conscious stuff, really. I can't make a record, you know, about whatever, the suppression, you know, because it's kind of kind of depression. It's kind of depressing to me, you know. It's just depressing. I like to have fun making records. I don't want to just stand there and just seem like I'm complaining all the time, you know? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that's so appealing about your work is that whether it's in your music or a music video, it always seems like you're having fun and enjoying yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah, I like to have fun making songs, and like you said, it's about the fun. It's about the fun making a record. You know, I have so much fun making songs. And, And you'll hear many more, you know, more and more. I like to write. I write songs every day, like... And I dry write. Some people need the beat to write. I write without the beat, with the beat. You know, I learn to write on the beat. I learn to write off the beat. I mean, I, I pretty much mastered a lot of stuff, you know. I'm not in, I, I don't be uh, scared of a, a, a new rapper or something that they say in a way of, they could say, like, if they rap 100 miles an hour, they rap 200 miles an hour. If they rap 500 miles an hour, they rap 600 miles an hour. I'm not, I don't fear that. I just figure it out, you know. I figure it out. I figure it out. And I, I do a good job of figuring figuring it out. Some people try to do something that people might say, "Oh, that guy uh, took the word, whatever." You know, he took one word and 
he did so much spectacular things with it. He took university and made it rap with like 15 words. Uh, I don't, I don't really, you know, that stuff don't phase me. I just figure it out. And then when you make it look stupid, people look bad because they're like, oh, he made it look stupid because I'll counteract that type of stuff. You know, rap is about counteracting. It's like any other sport. So the opponent has to get counteracted. You know, everything is, all the stuff is counteracted. You know, rap is counteracting. <laughs> <laughs> so all of what I do is counteract. I counteract. I listen. I read, okay, it's time to counteract. We are going to take a brief pause for a commercial timeout, and then we'll be back with more from Cool Keith next. You're listening to Massacre Radio. Thank you, and enjoy. I heard it doesn't even matter how long you hold in your weed smoke. You won't get any higher if you hold it in for longer. So naturally, I had to call upon my scientific wherewithal for what could be my most ambitious study yet. I took a brief moment to gather myself, and off I was. My lungs fill quickly to the point of almost letting it all back out, but I remain steadfast with my tight-lipped plan. This is going to revolutionize the way we work with and think about science. Heck, I might even win a Nobel Prize. I wasn't going to exhale the smoke for nothing, not no way, no how. In the name of science. I'm going to find the truth. But a few minutes after I had caught my breath, I didn't even remember what I was doing in the first place. Hey, I wonder what time Pizza Hut closes. And there you have it. Results inconclusive. Back here on Massacre Radio, joined by Cool Keith. Keith, the celebration of 50 years of hip-hop is this year, and since you've been in the business for basically 40 years like we had discussed, as someone who has seen it from its infancy to where it is now, what does 50 years of hip-hop mean to you? It means celebration because this was something that people didn't think it was going to go that far. And um, it means motivation, and it means uh, the test of time, which was something that started from where I was living, you know. And through all rap, you know, I don't care. It's rappers all over the world, Europe, Germany, Paris, uh, you know, wherever, you know, it's probably rappers in, 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 in um, Morocco, but Turkey, it's rappers all over. So I understand it started from the Bronx. It traveled all around the world. It put jobs out there. It gave people jobs. It gave people money. It made people take care of families. It made people managers. It made stylists hairdressers, we made managers, we made, we made, we made uh, road, road managers, we made, it made everybody, cameramen, video men, it made you interviewing me. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Uh, so Black Elvis 2 is out now, Keith. The first Black Elvis record was released August 10th, 1999. So tell me, why after 24 years did you feel like it was time for a follow-up to the first record? Uh, I think it was cool to have a follow-up because it was just a time to do it. You know, it was a time to make a make a record. It was time to make a song. Time to do a new record. It, it fit it right on time, and Mark was around, and we all played it, and we said, let's do it again. Um, I could probably do Octagon 5, but I don't think I'm going to do more sequels to records. I just thought I'd do Black Elvis 2 <laughs> for just some reason, for some particular reason. I just felt like I just wanted to do it. So, what was your approach when making the album? The first one sounded so futuristic as it is. 
The first one was more sample orientated. Second one became more like a more of a hip hop one, and the first one was more like synthesizers, and the second one was more like chopped up samples and and uh, kind of like SB12 updated, you know, mixed kind of type of stuff. And that's what it was. No, absolutely, and I think that's one of the things that jumps off the page when you look through your discography. You know, you know, a lot of guys make sounds, but they just they just more sweet, happy. You know, I make a lot of dark sounds and stuff. Not creepy. They could be creepy, but it's just hard, you know, hard stuff like bass lines and stuff. You know, I, I grew up listening to uh, Slave and Compunction, not with Slave and Ohio players and just, you know, Rod Templeton and all kinds of stuff like that. Like, you know, Pleasure, Dad's Band, Dad's Band, all kind of Billy Preston. You know, I didn't listen to it. I didn't grow up on any any jazz at all, but there were a lot of producers out there that want to give you jazz to rap on and stuff, but I never grew up on any jazz. Like, I never knew about Ron Carter and all that stuff. I never was buying, you know, Don Sebesky and Chuck Mangoni. I never did all that stuff. I was, I was always strictly, strictly buying funk records for years, you know, Undisputed Truth and, you know, anything funky. Any album cover with everybody looking crazy on it, you know. <laughs> that, that that was my inspiration. That inspired me, you know. Cameo, stuff like that, you know. So it was in my body, you know. These artists now that come out, you know, they don't get that experience to be, to go through all those funk records and listen to those different albums, you know. They more like, they playing by the keys of the school and, learning in school, you know, most of these pop artists, you know, 90% of them don't have a, a stitch of funk in them at all. They just going by some producer that's going to put them in the Billboard Awards and play some keys they learned in school and, you know, crossover. You think about it, all those bands never probably went to singing school. You ever see, you hear the tones they sung in? They didn't have to go to school to learn those tones. It was like original. You know, they didn't go somewhere going A, B, C, D, E. You know what I'm saying? They didn't do that. They didn't do all that. It's interesting you mentioned bands crossing over. What did you think back in the day when rap crossed over with rock? You know, that whole Run DMC, Aerosmith thing. Well, I think some groups had rock bands were interested in what I was doing. They were interested in what I was doing because it was different. And I didn't try to go get with a rock band and bang on drums and break guitars against the amps. I just think I made the music I did and it turned like rock rock people were interested in it without me trying to be rock. Like I didn't have to try to be rock, you know? So you're saying basically that because you were yourself, those other bands took notice and gravitated towards it? Yeah. You know, that's what it was. I mean, that seems like I think the best rock riff to me is when you listen to Slide and that guy goes off on the guitar part. Like, I haven't heard any rock band in history do that in my whole life. And that was a funk band. That riff, to me, is like, damn. You, did, you ever heard that riff? That part. when Like, when he goes nuts. I bet you a lot of rock guitar players can sit in the corner and twiddle their thumbs. <laughs> and that band, that band on the back of that cover, Drac, the bass player, Mark Adams, everybody, that band was crazy. They wasn't rock at all. Yeah, they were just very talented musicians who really knew their craft. It's all about the attitude and confidence. Yeah. So, you know, we always 
take rock as more like as a dominant name rock and then they say oh rock rock is you you're a band you gotta have a rock band and you look crazy as a rock band and rock rock could be anything they just put an image on rock i mean james brown is rock really but Woody's is king of soul but it's still he's still a rock star in general i think like you said people got it different they just think to be a rock star you just gotta wear you know, you got to be in alternative press with all black on, skulls all over your shirt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, that's rock, I guess. That's supposed to be rock. Now, I know you're a big fashion guy and were one of the first rappers to wear sports gear on stage. That's a fact. This show is based in Cleveland, and I know I've seen you wear Indians Chief Wahoo gear in the past. Do you have any go-to teams or favorites in the wardrobe that you have in your heavy rotation? I like different teams, you know. I, I like different teams around the world. Now, not, well, not around the world, United States, different teams, different colors, you know, different things. The Arizona Diamondbacks, you know, Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, Chicago Bears, North Carolina Panthers. I mean, I, certain things can grab me, you know, colors. So team Cleveland Brown, orange and brown, you know. Some of those things play with my excitement of how I feel for the day. I, I, I get off on that stuff, too. And, you know, we had talked about the movie you were working on, but what about music? Anything in the works you can share? Uh, you know, I got a couple artists coming out with Mark Live, No Name, and uh, my nephew, a little Kevin, and um, and I also got a, you know, Ultra Magnetic is slowly getting back together, slowly. And then said, Jesus, finished the project. So it's, it's all good. We got a lot of stuff, and I'm going to still put out more albums. Are we ever going to get a Robbie Analog album? Uh, I don't know. I think Cutmaster Kurt might give you one of those. So <laughs> he might give you one of those albums. Yeah, I hope to see you one day. I hope to see you. Absolutely. Next time you are in Cleveland, let's do it. Let's have a sit-down in person. That would be awesome. Do you have a favorite memory of your time spent in Cleveland throughout the years? Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, yeah, Cleveland is always cool. I think I met Bone Thugs and Harmony at a uh, at a festival. It was a what it was a it was a it was like a festival. It was like a, one of those music things, like a convention. And they was rapping, and it was funny. Like they was rapping, and I heard them rap. And then uh, a couple months later, they ended up Easy E. I was trying to tell Sad to listen to them. It was dope. Like they was just rapping, and I remember there was styles like. And, I, and a couple of weeks, months later, they came up. I was like, wow, it's crazy. So were they someone you were trying to get out to New York and get something going with, you think? I didn't. I, Fed was producing that, but I didn't know what sound was going to give them. Or not. But I was just there listening to them rap. And I, I think I recall changing numbers with them, like one of them, just one of them. There was two or three of them there. Like, but Fed was occupied back then on talking to some people, doing some interviews. And it was at a convention or something a long time ago in Ohio. And it was kind of cool. And they, later on, you know, they had a good career. Keith, where can people connect with you online? How can they go about doing so? Well, they get me on my Ultraman Twitter, like who keeps Instagram, official Instagram, and tell one and tell another, tell one and tell another. Spread the word, you know? Well, I could certainly talk to you all day. Cool Keith has been my guest. Keith, is there anything else you'd like to add before we let you go? Uh, any, uh, just uh, remember, you know, hit me up in all the, check out all the videos, you know, punching uh, Angel and all the videos and Da Vinci and just all the videos that come up, punching it. 
Cool Keith has been my guest. Go check him out on the Black Elvis 2 tour coming to a city near you. Check your local listings. Keith, thank you so much for your time today. Okay, thanks. You are listening to Massacre Radio. And that about does it for us on this episode of Massacre Radio. Hey, don't forget, you can call us on the Massacre Radio hotline at 440-941-8585. Put this in your phone, 440-941-8585, anytime, 24-7, and let us know how we're doing or any thoughts you may have, really. Let your creativity know no bounds. Anyway, that's our show. I'd like to thank my guest, Cool Keith. Black Elvis 2 is out now on whatever streaming service you may use, so go check that out. And as always, I have been your host, Members Only Dave, and I'll talk at you next week. Yeah.